You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 26th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your hero-loving host, Mason, and I'm joined by stand-up comedian Trey McLarnon. Hey, everybody. Yeah, so you're a stand-up comedian now full-time, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, if that's the way it works, but uh, I have uh, been fortunate enough to book some shows recently, and I, I, I did several shows since our last episode. Let's hop right into this, though, because we do have a really awesome episode today. It's our Pick 2 set review, which is a lot of fun. We're going to talk about that if you don't know what it is, because it's very unique for podcasts to do it in a crazy way like this. But first, this is why our sponsors pick us. Let's give them their ad time. You know how hard it is to sneak away for a meal as you grind your way through day one of a long tournament? It leaves you with an enduring hunger that you think may never be filled. Fear no more, thanks to Emrakul's overflowing spaghetti pit, available only at Long Tusk Pub. Everyone else may have forgotten about our favorite spaghetti overlord, but not the good folks at Long Tusk Pub. So come on by and get an Emrakul's overflowing spaghetti pit, guaranteed to annihilate any hunger. Disclaimer, Emrakul's Overflowing Spaghetti Pit has a non-zero chance to flample your brain, causing a temporary noodle madness. Effects should not last longer than six days. Yeah, Kate, uh, that's Trey's wife, and his uh, mother-in-law actually went down to the Long Test Pub to go get that when they heard the deal when we were talking about it earlier while we were recording the podcast. So it's a family business really for us, you know. We make sure to keep it in the fan when it comes to the Evenots pod. Yeah, and if you're wondering about anything that goes wrong during this podcast, it's because I have noodle madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's too good of a deal to pass up. Let's hop right into this, though. What does the pick two set review mean as I accidentally step on the dog's foot? Because today <laughs> is a crazy day. Uh, what we do is a little different than other podcasts. A lot of the podcasts do a top ten list or a top five list. And really what happens is the first seven or so cards are kind of like things that you kind of hope are good or seem generically powerful. And then the last three cards are the ones that are clearly home runs. So instead, we pick five different categories to talk about cards in. And then we use those categories to highlight different cards that might sometimes not get in on the set review. So the five categories for today, since we like to switch it up every single set, are we going to talk about sleepers, planeswalkers, because there's a lot in this set, so we just gave them their own category, hashtag privilege. Uh, <laughs> hello, which we'll get to later. Hopeful and hits. So Trey, would you like to start off with the first sleeper? Uh oh, sure. We're going right into sleepers, right out of the right out of the gates. That is the first one in the order no, that I said. No, we're good. We're good. Uh, my first sleeper is Chandra Fire Artisan. Which is a planeswalker. I'm cheating, putting planeswalkers in you're, other categories. You're allowed to. That you're allowed to. Uh, Chandra Fire Artisan is uh, red, red two. Uh, it has a passive ability. Whenever one or more lo- one or more loyalty counters are removed from Chandra Fire Artisan, she deals that much damage to target opponent or planeswalker. It has a plus one exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn, and then minus seven exile the top seven cards of your library, and you may play them this turn. Comes in at four loyalty. So, this is a Planeswalker that I haven't seen hardly anybody talking about, or if they have talked about it, it's been dismissed pretty quickly from what it is that I have seen. Now, I think that part of that is because of the comparison to the previous four-mana Chandra that we had. The Torch of Defiance. Torch of Defiance, right, which had a similar plus ability, uh, but then had like the ability to protect itself and do all of these other kinds of things. So, this card is not that. Admittedly, right out of the gates, it's not that. But, this is a piece that's missing... Um, of what it is that we'd want to be doing with looking at a four-mana Red Planeswalker in the bigger type of Red decks. In, like, the Rakdos mid-range decks like Jody Keith played, or, like, the Grixis mid-range decks when you're looking for a repeatable card advantage spell, 
Um, but, you know, your deck is not a good fit for something like Experiment Frenzy or Risk Factor, right? And so this can provide that repeated card advantage. And another part of it is, too, is you have the when uh, loyalty counters come off of it, it does damage. And you can do that damage to opponents or Planeswalkers. One of the things about that that's interesting from a design standpoint is that means also if your opponent attacks your Planeswalker, you can ping stuff because you're removing loyalty counters when it takes damage. And so that's a really unique situation to be in, and it has a bit of a defense in that regard against other Planeswalkers, and then also uh, can, you know, try to burn your opponent out in that way. And so I think that this card is something that's really interesting, and it's not very expensive right now, and it's something that I think that is going to have a home in Standard. Yeah, it's interesting because, so I think what happens a lot of the time, and this is going to come up a couple times in the set, is we all, we all do this in Magic, I should say, first off, so I'm not, like, judging people. We all do it, is we see a card... And it looks a lot like another card we've seen before. Chandra Torch Defiance, Chandra Fire Artisan. Their first abilities look very similar. The Chandra Torch Defiance, if you hit a card you can't play, you shock them. You deal two damage to each opponent. That's a very strong effect. That's obviously better than the Chandra we have, right? No one's denying that. But that doesn't mean that if you have that little bit of a worse part, this card can't be playable. It doesn't mean it's going to be a format all-star that like sees legacy and sometimes modern play. Like, Chandra Torture Defiance is a very powerful Planeswalker. It's probably in the top 10 before this set came out of all time. So when you see a card like that, you can look at this card and be like, well, this is a similar thing. Can I do something with this? And I think you point out aptly there are cards like Experimental Friendly, Experimental Frenzy and Risk Factor that are really good card advantage tools, so it's hard to compete. But there are decks that don't want to lose access to their hand, and this card really does fit in those decks nicely. Now, should they play this over uh, Experimental Friendly Risk Factor is a different question to get onto. But I think this card has, like, potential to be good. And, like you said, you know, when you ultimate, it is cool that you draw seven and seven of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a big... And, I mean, that's something, too, that, like, with all of Magic, you should never under, underestimate a draw seven. Yeah. Like, in general. And But, you know, your opponent, depending on what their life total is or depending on what their permanents are, if you play this and start drawing cards and ticking it up, they're going to have to start thinking, like, man, do I want to take five? Mm-hmm. And if they attack it in and then you tick it up again, it's like, man, they're taking a lot of damage potentially by trying to get this off the board. And if not, you're just sitting there and grinding through your deck. And it creates an interesting tension in that regard. And I think it's going to be a card that's going to be uh, good in those bigger mid-range type decks that are red. Like the Grixis mid-range deck that I was playing uh, on Arena and have been playing, like I would love this card. Like just to have that kind of repeatable card advantage because you end up hellbent so often. I'm interested... Maybe this is something for off air, but Karn would be my first jump to go to there. So I think that's the card this card competes with the most. But I was going to say, one advantage this has that Karn doesn't is this is a Lava Axe 90% of the time when it dies. Which is like, I'm not like, oh boy, Lava Axe. But also, you know, five of them, that's something. If you play like, I can see you playing two of this in your deck, and it, you know that could be enough to win a game. Or change the math where it's like, oh, I have to hit this uh, this Chandra because I'm we're both playing grindy mid-range decks, and now they're drawing extra cards. Yeah, I'll take six. You know, and you play another one, it's like, yeah, I'll take five more and attack it again. It's like, all right, well, I'm a nine now. You know? Right, but you know, using Karn's a great example of that, right? Like, so many times if you're that mid-range deck and you're playing against an aggressive deck, and you're like, man, I really hope they attack Karn and not me, and I get, like, that six-point life swing. It's like, well, here you get a 12-point life swing in that, in that same type of situation if you're at six loyalty and they attack at because you... Didn't take the damage, and they lose the life. Yeah, so assuming you could capitalize on damage, which That's I, right. I, I presumably you would. Let's move on, though, because we do have a lot of really cool cards to talk about. So today. what's your first sleeper? So my first card is kind of in a similar vein of something that people compare, and I was sort of dismissed pretty quickly, and that's Silent Submersible, which should just be Silent Submarine. I guess submarines aren't a lot of magic. It's <laughs> blue-blue for an artifact vehicle. 
with uh, two power and three toughness, screw two, and then has the ability of whenever Silent Submersible deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, draw a card. This card looks a lot like a card called Smuggler's Copter. And what happens is people look at Smuggler's Copter and they correctly identify that card is much better than Silent Submarine. But Silent Submarine, I'm not here to pitch you on the main deck. I'm not here to try and say this is like the 5th through 8th Curious Obsession. I'm here to talk about a card in the Mono Blue sideboard specifically that sees play that I think this card slots over. And that's Jace Cunning Castaway. People play Jace Cunning Castaway. I have a lot of Jaces. I bought four. I was a believer. I got got. This card fills a very similar role to Jace Cunning Castaway in the sideboards of Mono Blue decks. It's a card that is good against removal. While not the best, it still dies to it. It does insulate your creatures a little bit, let you play around Wraths and have haste with your vehicles, which we learned from Kaladesh Block. But it also is a form of card advantage. And while Jace lets you loop through your extra lands, which is basically, you know, draw a card in that mono blue deck at a certain point, drawing an actual card is better than looting. And being two mana is really relevant. You know, sometimes with Jace, you'd have to wait until turn four because you want to play around something they might be doing, or etc. You also want to have Spell Pierce back up to make sure you stick it. And this card, you now get to do that on turn three, or you get to sneak it in when they play an Ascanta that you couldn't do with a Jace Cunning Castaway. So I think this card's very powerful, and while I don't think it's, like, busted or going to define forms or anything, I think it's going to see play in sideboards and be a completely reasonable option, which is not something you normally hear on set reviews, but I think this is just a card to look at, and I think when the standard rotates, I'd keep my eye on this card, because we won't have Curious Obsession, but a card like it might be better in that kind of format. There's a, there's a couple of things that I want to point out about this card, because I think this card's awesome. Uh, first is that the idea that we're talking about a sideboard card is touching on a point that I don't think gets talked about a lot. Like, talking about cards aren't just about talking about main deck cards. Like, the majority of games of competitive magic that you are going to play are sideboarded games and not main deck games. In fact, yeah, it's always the majority. It's always it's, the it's majority. At least even if you're super lucky. Yeah, I'm great. If you 2 0 all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other part of it is that this card has a unique clause that you don't normally see for these type of effects, is that's if it hits a creep, hits your opponent or Planeswalker. Normally you have to choose, right? Being someone who's played with a lot of Thief of Sanity, like, you have to be like, okay, am I going to attack their Planeswalker and miss out on the effect, or am I going to attack them and try to get the effect, right? But here, no matter which one you choose, you get the benefit of drawing a card, and that's going to be something that's really huge and is really unique and appealing about this card. Yeah, for sure, and... You know, I, I think this card in a different world could be main deckable, and it might turn out to be that. Um, I hear a lot of complaints, though. Once again, this card doesn't have uh, evasion, and if it wasn't a submarine, I would be like, what are we talking about? Didn't we learn this? <laughs> like, that's the only thing I don't get. It's people are like, God, I hate playing against Hardicure and Thopter. It was so, like, both those cards were so annoying. And then they're like, God, another two-mana artifact that accrues advantage. I wish I had evasion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Watsy's like, what do we do? How do we make you happy? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's. I think that part of it is is that, that it's weird to have a flavor fail in a deck where the flavor is so good. Yeah, that, like the card is so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's basically it. Like the entire flavor of this set, which I just want to briefly detour for and give a shout out to. This is probably one of the coolest flavor sets I've ever seen, and the idea that they've told the entire narrative of the set, like on the actual cards that you can piece everything together that way between the flavor text and what's going on is extremely cool. And then there's a submarine <laughs> for seemingly no reason, and that submarine doesn't do submarine stuff. I think that that's the, that's the deal. Yeah. I don't know. I think the card's good in a matchups where, like, you want to play around having extra removals and they're not going to have a lot of removal and they're not, not going to have a lot of creatures, this card is a completely reasonable card to play. And so let's move on to your next uh, sleeper. 
Uh, my next sleeper is one of a cycle in this set, which this set's interesting that there are multiple, like, cycle cards. Yeah, my submarine's a cycle of artifacts that are colored, which I think is the future. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to see more colored artifacts. Mara's talked about it a little bit, and it makes a lot of sense, but keep talking. So, mine is a Finale of Revelation, which is the blue finale. I have to have a finale as well soon. Yeah. I did not pick this one. I know. So, this, this one is the blue one, so it's blue, blue, X, and, uh, it's a sorcery. That says, draw X cards. If X is 10 or more, instead shuffle your graveyard into your library, draw X cards, and untap up to five lands. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Exile, finale of Revelation. Ben Stark just wants to get rid of that line of text. Yeah, he just wants that to be the rules all the time. (laughs) Keep talking, sorry. Um, uh, Anytime that you've got anything that's like this, that's a cheap overall cost, and then X. Draw X cards is a powerful effect. Every time that has been printed, whether it's like Stroke of Genius or Sphinx's Revelation or whatever it is, the uh, uh, Blue Sun Zenith, sure, that whatever, is like yeah, brain, brain geyser, brain geyser, like yeah, yeah, anytime yeah. they print like cheap thing and X, draw a bunch of cards. It is something to keep an eye on because it is an extremely powerful effect. Then this has the additional factor that if you can actually get to X at ten or more, you get kind of a it's an expensive and overcosted time spiral. Which is an old card that is a very powerful effect where you're getting to, like, if you're going in a control matchup or something like that, you're not going to deck. You're going to be able to draw all of these cards, and then you also get to untap your mana and have access to it. It just does all this different kind of stuff, and this is something that I'm fascinated at, and it's the kind of card that makes you start thinking about, like, what kind of combo decks are available with the card pool that's available in Standard, because this is just such a unique effect that we don't have access to. So, are you interested in Azor Gateway shenanigans? Like, what do you... Because, I mean, 10... Like, 10 mana is a lot, right? I, mean, I, I will not... If this card didn't have the Kicker Clause, which this has Kicker, right? Uh, if it didn't have that clause, we wouldn't talk about this card, I think, in current day. That card is an old man magic card yeah. at that point, right? That's the thing, by the way, in case you're new to the podcast, where, like, there are all these cards that are old cards, and they reprint them to trick the old people and remind them of the good old days. Right. This card looks like that to me, so I want you to sell me. Are we doing Azure Gateway? What are we doing? Yeah, you take the rest of the text off of it. If it were just blue, blue, X, draw X cards, it's just Brain Geyser. Yeah. Right? Like, it's literally... If they just reprinted Brain Geyser, I would not... I'd be like, what are you doing, Trey? So <laughs> literally the same card. Yeah. But, I mean, there's multiple ways to get there. Like, Azor's Gateway is one of them. You've also got just, like, general ramp spells. We have artifact ramp spells now. We treasure map. Treasure map. I mean, there's multiple ways now that we can try to get to ramp. We've also got the the new Nyssa that, if you've got, it doubles your forests when you're tapping for mana. There are a lot of ways to try to get big mana that's going on right now. Um, we've also got, like, the Gates ramp spells, you know, based on what we were playing before with the Gates stuff. Gates. So, yeah. <laughs> So there are multiple ways to get there. Treasure Map and Azor's Gateway, I think, are the first places that my mind goes to, mm-hmm. just because they're a relatively low investment on the front end in order to try to get you there. Um, but that's the thing about this card, though. I don't know that you have to get to the 10-plus in order for it to have value. Okay. Like, if you're grinding things out with your opponent, and then all of a sudden you draw this... Like, you think about the games when you've been playing against, like, Sultai, and they play, like, a Krasis and draw, like, three cards. You're like, ugh, <laughs> I feel out of it completely. And yes, while they have a, a, a six, 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 just a six, six, but that's a big part of it. But like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. think you're in that same situation and you're both top decking and then you draw six cards mm-hmm. in that same scenario, you know, you're going to be way far ahead as far as being able to do something. So while I think that the, the big part of it is something that's important, I don't think that it's necessary for you to get to that point for this card to see play. Okay. So like basically just control or maybe like a combo deck. But I, I think that this could see play in control, and I think that this is also complete see play in as, as a one of in a mid range deck as well. I guess in the control mirrors, it is a 
win condition, yeah. right? Because like you never deck because you have two of them. So right. and you can just you always fire it off and you. Well, no, you would deck yourself at some point. You could deck yourself. There is a way to deck yourself, but it's going to be difficult to deck yourself. Yeah, I guess you just move to discard and discard a clunk of cards, and then you pass the next one and it shuffles them back in. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. It it is weird in that regard, but, like, uh, also as well of note is, you know, this can be done at instant speed with the new three-mana Teferi, that some of those Esper lists that we've seen getting posted so far is something that's there. (laughs) Oh, man. I do not like the new three-mana Teferi as much as other people. I think that card, is that card on your list? It is not. It is not? Okay, I want to talk about it real quick then. This is a bonus card. You're a big believer in this card, aren't you? I, I don't know that I would say I'm a big believer, but I do think that it's good. I think the card's good. I don't know. I am not a believer in this card with it doesn't have creatures backing it up. I think it's going to be like a very good tempo or mid-rangey card. And I don't think it's going to be a very good control card. And I think that's the inflection point for me. Is I keep seeing people talk about it in these control decks. I'm like, I don't see it being good enough there. And I think you need creatures to back it up to really maximize it. Maybe. I mean... It, Besides but, Miracles and Legacy, I think it's quite good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Instant Speed Wrath of Gods, I think, is the is the thing that can put it in control I get, decks. I guess, but I don't know if I need an Instant... Like, you, you, you do sometimes. I've played a lot of Esper. Sometimes you're like, God, a haste creature, a Lava Runner beat me or whatever. Whatever. I wish I could have waited on this Kaius Wrath. I don't know if I really need to put a card in my deck for that, but uh, that's just a little side tangent. Only time will tell. I don't think the card's bad or anything. I just think... It might be over. If there was an overblown section, I would put Teferi as my number one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I think that people are overly hype on it, but I think that the card has a place. The question is, is whether or not it's going to be the direction that the control decks want to go. And so it's going to be just figuring out whether or not that's the direction that they want to go. But I think that the, it is interesting, and especially with these finales and some of these other big sorcery spells, but having the ability to cast those at instant speed is something that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, my last sleeper card is Blast Zone. So Blast Zone is a land that when Blast Zone enters, it enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it. Blast Zone taps for colorless mana. You can pay XX and tap Blast Zone to put X charge counters on Blast Zone. And you can pay three and sacrifice Blast Zone. Uh, and you have to tap it too, but uh, destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Blast Zone. That's, that sounds a lot like another card that I've heard of before. Yeah, it plays... It, well, it sounds a lot like Engineered Explosives. It doesn't play quite as well as Engineered Explosives, but it takes the land slot. And so, Blast Zone is interesting. We'll talk about it in Standard real quick, and then we'll hop into Modern and Legacy, where I think it's much better. I think in Standard, probably a fine, like, one-of-ish type thing right now. The mana is pretty good, and we're playing three-color decks, so it's hard to fit this in. Like, Ascanta is really good, and we're now playing Field of Ruin. But I could see this being a thing. It just takes a slot of a land. But if we rotate and we're in two-color decks, most likely, this card's going to see a lot of play. I imagine. Now, let's go to Modern and Legacy, where I think this card is much more powerful. So in Legacy, in the lands deck, it gives them out to just random things they didn't have outs to before. Like, True Name Nemesis. Like, they just couldn't kill a True Name. Like, I, I had a lands player on my team, and at one point, we're like, oh, God, how do we race this True Name Nemesis? Turns out 2020s do a good job. But we barely got there, you know? Uh, you can leave it on three for if they're going to play a Blood Moon. You can on you can play this card and immediately pop it in the same turn if you have three other lands. And it's like Delver of Secrets are all gone since they now changed the rules to the one on the backside. That's pretty powerful. Now, in Modern, uh, it is usable, and I think in the Tron deck, I think you can main deck it as a one-up if you wanted to. Or you could sideboard it as a way to catch all. Like, Tron can't use in, uh, Engineered Explosives because they don't make colored mana easily. They have to use another card. So it becomes a little awkward there. But 
when it's just mana, Tron has got some mana for you. So <laughs> this is this could be a card in the Tron deck. And then I think it's a card worth talking about in the Amulet Titan deck. I don't know if it's going to take the place or not, because I think the mana efficiency of uh, EE is very important. But the fact that this takes a land slot and not an, uh, a spell slot... And or you could just play 29 lands. And since you have so many bounce lands, I've had a lot of hands before where it's just like, I wish I had just had any land I could play so I could play my bounce land. My hand's so good. And upping your incidental land count can be powerful there. Obviously, a lot slower than EE in that situation, but something I think that's worth talking about. And this card has not got, at the time we're recording this is Friday, the week before the set comes out, just isn't getting that much attention. It's $4 to like pre-order right now. Yeah, I mean... Engineered Explosives is a staple in Eternal formats, and the idea of having that type of effect on a land is crazy. The idea that you're not necessarily having to use spell slots for that type of effect is something that's really interesting. Um, I, I, I think this card is something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, just one last thing I, I didn't really mention in, in Standard. If you're a control deck that can afford to play this, if the format looks anything similar to now, three of the best decks are red, white, and blue, and they uh, mono for all those colors, and they're all very reliant on one drops. Mono red the least so of the three, but it still plays eight one drops. In mono blue, this kills curious obsessions. Even if it's on another thing, that could be huge. You could hold up your mana, be like, you know, they hit you one more time, draw one more card, and like, I don't want to plan to absorb your turn. You're like, all right, I'm going to pop this. Now you just have a stupid 2 2. I'll figure it out later, you know? So, very powerful card. Trey, are you ready to move on to the next section, which is Planeswalkers? <laughs> sure. My first Planeswalker is Liliana Dreadhorde General. Wow, really going deep from this one, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so, what does Liliana Dreadhorde General do? So, it's a 6-drop, black, black, and 4. Uh, has the passive ability, whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card. I don't know if you know, but repeatable draw card effects are good. I like that. Uh, but you're going to need creatures. Where can you get them? Liliana will bring them to you. Uh, plus 1 ability, create a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token. Uh, minus 4... Each player sacrifices two creatures. And then minus nine, each opponent chooses a permanent they control of each permanent type and sacrifices the rest. Uh, and it comes in with six loyalty. So it takes three turns to ultimate. Three turns to ultimate. Um, and I, I want to make an important note, because this has been misread a, a couple of different times, in, including by us, is that the ultimate is that your opponent is the only person that has to sacrifice all of their stuff. It's not both players, if you ultimate the Oh, did the, we get that wrong? Walker. At some point early in our conversations. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm just saying Maybe that, off area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I only want to make that point, because it seems like the type of thing that might be players, but it's just your opponent. Um, so the... the Black-based, you know, black-green mid-range decks have a lot of competition at the six-drop slot. There's a lot of things that are going on. But what's interesting is that Liliana makes some of those options worse, right? Like, Carnage Tyrant would normally be, like, a go-to for the mid-range mirrors and in control decks and things like that. You're like, well, I'm going to play Carnage Tyrant, and then I've got that difficult-to-deal-with permanent that's hard for them to answer, and then I'm going to be able to gain, uh, you know, equity in, like, the soul time mirrors. And it's like... Well, now you just have this everybody sacks two creatures clause that makes Carnage Tyrant worse to play. And so while there's heavy competition between like this and Vraska. Vraska and, you know, Hydroid Crisis and, you know, all of these different things that are there, I think that this card does so much and it gives you so much value out of your other things. Like, you know, there were black green builds that were playing like Midnight Reaper to get the like draw, you know, when a creature dies, die effect, right? Now this you just have tacked onto a Planeswalker as a static ability. While it is at six, like you're playing all of these guys, and then your guys eventually get outclassed, and you want to try to trade them for other resources, you can just play Liliana, use some other kind of effect, or you say that you're outclassed on the board, but you each have two creatures. 
play minus you get to draw two cards your opponent loses. Like, you're so far ahead. Uh, I think this card is going to be very interesting. I'm not sure yet whether or not it's going to be main deck in, like, those kind of black-green mid-range decks, or even if black-green is where you want it. You might want it in a black-based mid-range decks that aren't green at all. Um, I mean, in control decks, too. Like, in, in, in theory, if Karnshiren is a problem, you could use this as your cyborg answer to Karnshiren. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that you can then also create additional threats, like playing it in a control deck and playing it and plussing it and making tutus. Like, that's... Anytime you're making creatures in your control deck, that's going to be very good in the control type mirrors as well. So, I think this card does a lot. Uh, you, you know, you want a lot for a six-mana Planeswalker to make it interesting or playable, and I think that Liliana delivers. Yeah, I think Liliana's really powerful. Um, it is an interesting card to me, because it does... So, let's just talk about Just Frask, because that's the easiest comparison, right? Because there are a lot of other cards that card shine and stuff, but this feels like the card being a G Planeswalker role. Both pluses make a 2-2. Two -two. One gives Menace, the other is a zombie, which has some synergy, which we've talked about. But I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, like this exact comparison. I don't know if you did the comparison. I know you talked about this card yeah. previously. But, uh, so, a zombie has, like, slight effects or whatever, but, like, let's just assume it doesn't, for the sake of argument. So, it just makes a 2-2. Two -two. Then the minus of them both, Vraska's is more versatile, but yours is better when you're behind and you stick your Planeswalker, which is something I'm a big fan of. Vraska's minus is also good if you're behind, but not quite as good. Uh, I think Edicting 2 is better than killing one artifact, enchantment, or creature. And then the ultimate, I think, it's weird because Vraska's ultimate kind of wins the game, but it doesn't always win the game. It's like I have beaten Vraska ultimate many times. Uh, the Liliana emblem I mean, ultimate is basically game winning, but there are situations where you could lose. But I think it's I think it's more likely to win the game than Vraska's is, which is a weird comparison because Vraska puts them at one, and this just makes them go down to one land and one one of each thing. Um, that all being said, I think this card is probably better than Vraska right now in standard. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, and I think it's definitely something that you need to consider. And we have a lot of cards with a lot of options, and I think the edict part on this card is the part you really need to look at. And if the black-green mirror, or the soul-time mirrors, or even if they go back to the original black-green, the edict is going to be very pivotal to this card. Right. Well, and one thing, too, in, in that comparison is the fact that this is only black. So this could show up in Grixis decks. This could show up in Demir uh, uh, decks. Esper decks. Esper yep. decks, right? Like, that this has the possibility of being played in more than just black-green. Like, I think that... You know, making the choice between it and Vraska in the black-green decks or the Sultai decks specifically is going to be something. But this card's interesting to me because of the versatility of mid-range decks that it allows for. Yeah, like, would would Grixis play Vraska if they could? Yeah. Probably, right? Yeah, sure. This is, like, pretty close. Right. So. Yeah, very similar to that. Or, like, the big Rakdos deck, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you might play something like this. Yeah, like, you play the Immortal Sun as your, like, card advantage, go over the top thing. And now it doubles as an answer for the Planeswalkers. But maybe you don't want that for whatever reason in the Planeswalker world. Let's just say you don't, right? This is another tool to have. Or also, Immortal Sun won't be here forever. That's something to think about when cards come out, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think that card's great. Let's move on to another card, though. My first Planeswalker, I think, might be one of the most powerful Planeswalkers in this set. Whoa. And that's Tamiyo, Collector of Tales. Two blue-green for a Legendary Planeswalker, Tamiyo. Tamiyo has the pass... Oh, one last thing I, mean, I forgot to mention, by the way. The passive ability on Liliana is kind of a swinger compared to Vraska. Because when boards get stalled, sometimes Vraska gets attacked down, and that is a big thing in Liliana's camp. Just wanted to say that real quick. Uh, Tamiyo's passive ability is spells and abilities your opponent control cannot cause you to discard cards or sacrifice permanents. We'll kind of get to that later, but pretty good tricky clause, right, compared to what we see in the rest of the set. Uh, plus one, choose a non-lane card name. 
Uh, so you, you name an online card name, then you reveal the top four cards of your library, put all cards with the chosen name in your hand and the rest in the graveyard. Then you can minus three to return target permanent, I'm sorry, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Starts at five loyalty. So for four mana, you get a weird card that clearly wants to work in a combo deck or a deck that's trying to mill itself out or like a graveyard synergy deck. Because when you play it, you have to name a card, which makes it plus a little weird. There's a lot of soul reading going on and playing the odds, right? And you're like, well, I really need this card. Or maybe, like, I kind of need that card, but I just need draw a card. So I'm going to name a card I haven't drawn yet that I have a four of in my deck. And you mill through it. So if you're playing with this card, you're probably wanting to find a specific card or two, right? Like Nexus of Fate or uh, Root Snare, for example, out of the Fog decks, right? Just find another way to take another turn. And then it puts them all in the graveyard. And then her minus, when you play her, lets you buy back a Fog or buy back something that maybe in the last turn you milled over. You're like... May I really need either, you know, Teferi or Karn right now. And I, I'll name Karn, and you hit your Teferi, and you're like, well, that's unlucky. On my next turn, I'll just buy back Teferi. You just guarantee it. And the fact that it buys back cards you had later, uh, earlier in the game, I think it's very powerful as, like, an Ewit-like, kind of, in, like, a blue, like, a... It's hard to say this, but, like, Ewit is a card that some decks would play in combo decks just to have redundancy, right? And, like, fight through discard, and this card fights through discard... In the way that, like, oh, they discarded my thing earlier. Now they can't discard me again. I get it back. So it's a weird card that really works well in combo decks. And I think the the obvious home and standard is for Nexus of Fate. You name Nexus, you mill over all your cards. It makes your deck smaller for Nexus of Fate. You buy back your Root Snares because all you really care about is taking more turns. If you build over, like, your chemistry insight, you're really happy. You mill over your other cards. Who cares? They're not the cards you're looking for. And then this is a win condition on its own um, in that sense because you just need one thing to kill them with because this will buy it back. Because if you get to the point where you're looping your deck every turn, and like you say, name Nexus, and you hit two, and you stack up two turns, then you can just buy back anything and attack them, and you eventually kill them. Like, Commence the Endgame is one that on Versus Live was played, where it's a six-mana draw two, and then you have mass or equal to the number of cards in your hand. So if you just get up a couple cards, and you play that, so like a six-six, and then you buy it back, and make it a 12-12, and attack them, and then, you know, you can just keep looping that if they have kill spells, and eventually they'll run out. Because you'll just, you can always name Nexus of Fate with this, or you can name another card, and then mill your Nexuses out if you couldn't cast them. So, you eventually get to the part where you hard lock them with just any one win condition. So, that's it. Yeah, this this card is uh, scary in, in the sense of, like, a lot of the ways that you end up attacking those type of decks is with discard spells. Yeah. And the fact that this says, once this is in play, your opponent can't discard anymore is a problem. Um, also, you know, there were some good edict effects that we had before. Now there are more good edict effects. We were just talking about Liliana's Minus and how Liliana's Minus is a, is an edict effect. Where if you're not in a, um, uh, Nexus type deck with this, but you're in a, you know, more mid-range type deck or something else, like these edict effects now don't work. Ingress Revenge doesn't work. Like these things that would make you sack the Liliana's whatever, the edict that is the Liliana card. Yeah, the new Diabolic Edict. Right, yeah. exactly. All of these cards now don't work. Um, Eldest Reborn doesn't work. Like, the, these are all really big things. Like, this, this card versus Eldest Reborn is laughable. Like, it cuts off the first two chapters, like, entirely. Mm. And the idea that you have a four mana planeswalker, like, the number of times that I've played with, like, a mid range deck versus a, a combo deck like that, like that, and they play, like, a planeswalker, and I'm like, haha, gonna get them with this Eldest Reborn. Like, this is scary. It's terrifying for that kind of thing. For sure. You know, the question I'm going to have with it is whether or not it's going to have a home or whether or not it's going to be able to see something that sees play in something that's not a Nexus of Fate deck. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a Nexus player and that's something that interests you, I would be picking this card up. I would, Yeah, I would also like to say that the Cryptic Jace, the one blue, blue, blue Jace, also has like a mill yourself out theme. And there seems to be a weird like 
you could go Sultai Mill yourself with all like the black green mill cards and the Namir mill cards and this. I don't know if that's a competitively viable deck, but that could just be something to look at. It's at least something that's like, there's a lot of cards that put a lot of cards in the graveyard. And if like Gruesome Menagerie plus this is a combo, if you just say name Gruesome Menagerie and you hit cards, you're like, if you build your deck right, it's like, sweet. I either drew cards or I drew cards when I hit Gruesome Menagerie. So that's something to look at too. There are weird things Tameo can do. And while it's not like, I think the most obviously powerful card in the world when you read it, and even I was a little low when I first read it, the more I think about it, the more I think it has potential. It's pre-order for $2 right now, which is absurd. So. Right, yeah, the, the, it's should never underestimate like the put cards in your graveyard versus put cards at the bottom of your deck. Yeah. Right? Like things that abuse the graveyard are often very powerful. And there's a lot of that in this set. There's a lot more self-mill. There's this, there's Enter the New Gods, Eternal, uh, Removal Spell that mills you. There's all kinds of different things you can use that mill you. Yeah. Again, Sultai too, like their plan to disrupt you normally is like a stroke, a negate, and some thought, er- uh, I'm sorry, Esper. It's like some counter spells and some thought erasers. I don't know what I was thinking there for a second. I had a stroke or something. But this turns off like a part of their answers. And that's, that's important. So. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting card. Yep. Speaking of interesting cards. Never heard of that. What's up? Uh, my next planeswalker is Sahili, Sublime Artificer. Ooh, young Sahili answer. Yeah, which is, uh, hybrid mana. So it's blue red, blue red, one. So three mana, but it's hybrid for either is it colors. Um, has a static ability. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a one-one colorless servo artifact creature token. And then minus two, target artifact you control becomes a copy of another artifact you control or another creature you control until end of turn. Except it's an artifact in addition to its other types and it comes in at five loyalty. This card is really interesting. Like if it were just an enchantment that said whenever you cast a non-creature spell, make a servo. Like I don't know whether or not that's something that we would play. Like that's something that would be really questionable as to whether or not it's worth a slot. But the idea that it has this additional ability on it as well is something that is interesting. Because you cast a non-creature spell, you make a servo. And then you've got creatures that are in play that you play. Let's say you, like, recur phoenixes or whatever. Then the next turn, you're making all these servos, you're making phoenixes. Then you can minus this to turn a servo into a phoenix just for additional value to get in there and, and hit really hard really quickly. And this is a sideboard card. In the Phoenix decks, because a lot of times the like Arclight Phoenix decks had a tough time going like against things that went wide, and now you can just go wide with them with all of the stuff that you're already doing, and then you can also then make your stuff into big stuff. You can make a Crackling Drake, you can make a a, a big a mass creature with a new card. Like, you can do all of these things by turning your servos into the creatures that you have in play, which is something that I think is fascinating. Um, this card also plays very well, obviously, with uh, the Legend Box. Yep. Um, but I don't think that you have to play that for this. Like, I think that just the fact that it makes servos, and then also you can turn those servos into your other creatures is something that's going to be interesting. Also, against control decks, this is another card that you can bring in, right? Like, just like you said, if you're having issues with, like, a, a go-why strategy, this, like, doubles up there. Also, let's talk about Modern Legacy for a second. This card probably goes in a, same, a similar deck as Young Pyromancer. If the first turn... You, like, play this and, like, cast some sort of spell. Like, you surgical their Arclight Phoenixes or whatever. And the next turn, you play Young Pyromancer minus, and then now you're getting three tokens when you cast your next spell. Because you copy the servo onto the Young Pyromancer. That's a little, like, win a lot. But that's also something that those decks are pretty good at doing, of grinding things down and making these weird card combinations happen. So Right. And so another thing, too, you know, we're talking about this in, like, an Arclight deck or something like that. But this also has the possibility of being a sideboard card in control decks. Because it is hybrid mana, you don't have to play red. Like, you could be 
you know, an Asper deck or a, a Demir deck and play this. And like, okay, we're in a control mirror. I'm just going to bring in this three mana Planeswalker that makes all my spells make one once. Like, that is something that is valuable and, and is something that's going to be interesting. This card, I think, is of the uncommon Planeswalkers ones that I'm really fascinated by. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say. I think it's great. Are you good? I'm good. What do you got? So I have another uncommon Planeswalker myself as the last Planeswalker for me, and that's going to be Kiora, Behemoth Beckoner. Uh, it's two blue-green. Uh, so it's blue or green, it's hybrid mana. For a legendary Planeswalker Kiora, and it says whenever a creature with power four greater you control, I'm sorry, enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Uh, then it's minus one untapped target permanent, and it comes in at seven loyalty. That's so much loyalty for three <laughs> mana. It's a lot of loyalty. So the interesting thing about this card is I'm kind of looking at it for Amulet Titan and Modern again. Seems like my second card always has to deal with Amulet <laughs> Titan. And that's what it's like to be an Amulet guy. Uh, but, you know, you can untap your Tribe Scouts. You can, uh, when you play your Titan, that text actually matters. You can untap your Titan after attacking. You can grab a Telerio West and a thing and a Bounce Land, bounce Telerio West, untap your Blue Green, Transmute. You can do a lot in the turn. But let's talk about Saner, because that could be a card that he's playing Modern. I'm not sure. That seems a little, a little far-fetched for me, or farther-fetched. And Standard in the Vanifar pod decks... This card is great. <laughs> you play Rekindling Phoenix. You play other... I can't think of card names right now that are just big idiots that you, like, have incidental recursion value. This thing lets you draw cards off them. lets you untap your Vanifar and double pot in a turn. And in those kind of decks, you normally have, like, incidental value. So if, like, you had a Fibble Thip in play, and then you pot it into, a, like, a Knight of Autumn, and you gain... You destroy their enchantment. They are Search for Escon, and then you play this, untap your Vanifar, go search for Rekindling Phoenix. It's like, okay, that's a turn. Right? Also, you can just play this on turn three off an elf, and let's just say that you don't untap the elf to hit them or whatever reason, right? Um, since it is three mana. Uh, on the next turn, you can play uh, a five mana spell. Like, you can play, like, a biogenic ooze, and you only needed one elf in this. So it does a good job of, like, that deck has a lot of mana accelerants to, like, get out the things and go up the chain a little bit more. Uh, so it plays nicely there, but it also plays nicely with mana rocks in that way, in your elves and your... Uh, Incubation in- That's the card name. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that one. So, or there's also the new artifact ramp spells, right? Yeah, like uh, Firemind's plan, the Power Rangers card. The, <laughs> yeah, that card. But yeah, so like it plays great with all of those cards, and I think it's like probably good enough. I'm not, I'm not 100 sure, but it seems good in the pod decks, and the pod decks got a lot of cards. The pod deck did get a lot of new cards. This card is interesting. I don't know, but untap target permanent versus just target creature is something that's interesting. Um, untap my Gideon after attacking. Uh, sure. <laughs> now we're really doing it. Um, I, I don't know, but the card is the card is interesting. It's one that's going to have to take a lot of work in order to do something with it. But the fact that it has so much loyalty and you can have so many activations off of it mm-hmm. is something that is fascinating for as little mana as it is. Yeah, so let's move on to the next section, which is Hello! And I'm going to start off here. What is Hello? Why don't you tell the people what <laughs> Hello is? So Hello is, the idea behind this one is you see a card and you're like, whoa, this card's exciting to me. It makes me want to build a deck around it or do something with the card. So the Hello cards are like, Hello, beautiful. Like, <laughs> let's get to know each other, right? And so mine actually works with the last card, uh, which is why I'm going to start off here, which is Finale of Devastation. This is my finale. Uh, it's X green green for a sorcery that says search library and or graveyard for a creature with converted mana cost X or less. Put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. All right. Uh, if X is 10 or more, creatures you control get plus X plus X and get haste until end of turn. So we had green sun zenith, but we added a mana to make it not limited to green creatures, and you could also search your graveyard. Correct. And it gives uh, creatures haste if you have a lot of excess mana. Why not? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting, right? So it's like, 
It's obviously comparable to Grand Sun Zenith because that's like a new Sun Zenith is almost what it is in a weird way. Grand Sun Zenith is obviously better, I think. Uh, while the graveyard clause and everything matters in the decks that you're used to thinking of Green Sun Zenith in, like this wouldn't, I don't think, would become five or six in a lot of other decks. Um, it, the one less man, I think, matters a lot. The interesting part, though, about this to me is the fact that it, like Trey said before astutely, it's not just green creatures. It's not, if it was just Green Sun Zenith, I don't know if it'd be on my list. But the fact that I can get back red creatures, blue creatures, white creatures, like, you can play this in, um, so the first thing everyone thought about was Devoted Druid combo, right? Like, this just lets you go search your piece, or if they kill your piece, you buy it back. And then you kill your opponent with infinite mana. Um, but you can do things like Kiki-Jiki combos if you're, like, in a, a team or a color deck, right? If you're playing the Sahili deck uh, that doesn't see the whole lot of play right now, the copycat one in Modern, this is, like, another copy of those cards. And some of them played Eldritch Evolution, and that card might fit better. This might change the deck to look in a different way. And I think looking at this card only as Green Sun Zenith is underselling what this card does. I misread this card like nine times. If you're on the Constructed Criticism uh, Discord, I misread it like nine different times. And every time I was like, I went from like, when I first saw it, I was like, all right, I'm like in on this card to much, much higher. And maybe that's a side effect of me just misreading the card so much. So it gets better and better. <laughs> I'll admit that maybe I'm biased there. But the fact that it can come back from the graveyard is real. This card also doesn't exile itself, which I know like I, I compared like, I said like, oh, we can buy back Snapcaster Mage with this card if you wanted to, where you can Snapcaster it, which is, like, less exciting at that point. Now you're playing four mana up front, but if you're playing an Ewid-style deck and you want this as well, that could be a thing where, like, maybe the Devoger decks already play Ewit. I don't think they would stop playing Ewit. So now you have, like, seven Ewits. And it's like, all right, I'll buy this thing back and then buy back this thing. I'll just, like, chain off on you for a little bit while you're, like, bolting my creatures every turn because you're playing stupid Jeskai in Modern, you know? But, or just looking at the standard, the last three cards that you have talked about for your standard list so far. Yeah. You play your your uh, three mana Kiora on your land off your land of War Elf on turn two. Then you untap it to play your Biogenic Ooze. Oh no, your Biogenic Ooze got killed. You've played your Tamiyo to buy back your Biogenic Ooze. Yeah. Then you replay it. And then they're like, oh, they killed Biogenic Ooze again. Now we're just going to go get it again with this card. And then you can buy this card back to cast it for bigger later in the game. Like, there might be new archetypes that are available with those color combinations because of the fact that these types of cards are existing. Exactly. What's great is me and Trey, Trey saw my list. I didn't see his. So he didn't know. We haven't talked about this at all. That's exactly what I was about to say. And I was about to say, in the pod deck, in standard, hello, this is great. We talk about all those cards have great ETB and great dies. Vanifar is obviously important. So this becomes 5 through 8 on Vanifar. It works with Fibblethip, which was, like, kind of a half joke when I first said it. But, like, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Like... Four mana for a draw two and then upgrade it to a good three three or a three drop out of your deck is like, all, all right. Yeah. Like, all they're asking me to do is put Vanifar in play for that combo to be good. And my deck's about putting Vanifar in play, so I think I can facilitate this. Yeah, yeah. I think that the card's really interesting. And the fact that you can, like, if you draw it late game and you just have a bunch of resources and things have stalled out, you just get, like, a Crater Hoof Behemoth, like, effect off of it. Yeah, it's just, like... Yeah, even if you just grab some random idiot from your deck. Like, the only creature left in your deck is a Lanor Elf, somehow. It's like, alright, hit you for 11. Your turn. That's assuming I have exactly 10 mana. So, yeah. Yeah, in, in general, I think that the new Zenith cycle, which is basically what the finales are, are all awesome. <laughs> I think that they're really cool. We've talked about two of them. We're not going to talk about all of them. But I think that the cycle of them are really cool, and they do a lot of really interesting things. And they can drive new archetypes, or bring archetypes that were, like, halfway there, like Vanifair. To the front. Yeah, like, um, 
yeah, I, I, we're going to talk more with this sort of later in the stream, but I get, I, luckily I was blessed to have a sponsored stream this time, and this is a deck we're going to play a lot of. I'm very excited for this deck. So, I, th- I think it could be real. I don't know. Yeah, I, it certainly certainly looks more real than it did last set. I'm going to double-check the price on it. I might pre-order while we're talking. <laughs> Let's see what you got. So, maybe. my first card is a crazy card that I have no idea why it exists, uh, which is Bolus's Citadel. Oh, okay. Which is a legendary artifact that is black, 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 three. And you may look at the top card of your library anytime, so it has the future sight type ability. You may play the top card of your library. If you cast a spell this way, you pay life equal to the converted mana cost rather than pay its mana cost. And then if you have, uh, it has an ability that's tap and sacrifice ten non-land permanents, and each opponent loses ten life. Oh, it's fifteen dollars for finale of devastation. I'm deciding how much of a fan I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bolus's Citadel is. By, a, by the way, I just want to point out that's how I know you're an old Magic player because in my head I'm like, yeah, it's experimental frenzy, and you're like, yeah, so it's future sight. Future sight, yeah. <laughs> well, it does cost a lot more mana. So, <laughs> you know. but no, the the card is extremely fascinating. I mean, uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Anything that cheats mana is potentially a problem, and this is something that cheats mana. You, it encourages you to play a lot of life gain spells, which there are a lot of life gain spells. But if you're playing things like the obvious thing to look at is like Revitalize, right? You play Revitalize, you're actually paying uh, no life. You're up a life and a card just by playing that if this is in play. And you can cycle through your deck and you can do all kinds of different things. It, it's interesting. I don't think that uh, there's no way that he could have known. But Ali Antarazi was doing a lot of work by playing all these Lich's Mastery decks and finding all of these cards that work well with that card. And it's like laid the foundation for what I think Bolas Citadel decks are going to look like in standard because you would use a lot of the same cards, but for a different purpose. Like you're incentivized to play a lot of the same type of cards. You want life gain cards. You want cards that draw cards. You want cards that have a lot of powerful effects when you're casting spells. Yeah, Gift of Paradise is free off this card. Yeah, just absolutely. And then you're fixing your mana, you're doing all kinds of stuff. But when you're able to just off the top of your deck cast your spells for free, that is something that's going to be really something to keep an eye on. And it makes me want to look in so many different directions and think about so many different things. Because your first instinct is you want to play a lot of just spells and you want to have a lot of powerful things. Like a lot of the black and white cards that are that are there that would do this kind of stuff. Um, but then you could also like play with the explore package. Right? Just because you gain so much life. And like you play like Wild Growth Walker, gain a bunch of life, and then chain a bunch of free spells off the top of your deck. It's going to be hard for somebody to win. Like this is a six mana artifact. Yes, that's a lot. But, like, the possibilities of what this could do and what types of decks this can create, like, it's it's just very fascinating to me. And it's definitely a hello-type card as far as I'm concerned. For sure, yeah. I just want to tinker it in play. But that's me. Yeah. I'm a simple man with simple needs. Yeah. So you're a vintage guy now? <laughs> I'm a limited and a vintage guy. I just don't bring it up a lot. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if, I, you know, I don't play Commander. But, like, if you're a Commander person, like, this card is crazy stuff. <laughs> you do crazy stuff with this. Oh, man, the old Commander All-Star. Uh, let's talk about my last Hello card. What do you got? And that's Illahag, the Razor Boar. Oh, I've heard about this one. Three red red for Legendary Creature Boar God. Best creature type in Magic? Tweet at us and let us know. Trample, whenever Illahag, the Razor Boar, attacks, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Oof. Return that creature to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. When Illahag, the Razor Boar, dies, you put it in, or put it into exile, sorry, from the battlefield, you may put it into its owner's library third from the top. That's the cycle all the gods have. None of them die. They just take a little nap. You just the tuck go- them in. Yeah. They take, you give them a little tuck nap, and then they come back. I'm a fan of the new gods. The old gods are highly overrated. <laughs> That's a Neil Gaiman joke for you. Don't sleep on it. 
Illahag is an exciting card. So there's a lot of things you can do with this thing. So here's the thing. So a lot of things you can do are just putting big dumb creatures into play. So for standard, there's Galta, um, Ronus, the, the green god. There are a lot of things you can do with this card with standard, just putting big dumb idiots into play with them in the wild. That's cool. I'm going to definitely do stuff like that. I was more interested in Goyer's Vengeance and Modern. Because this, Trey's shaking his head in disgust. This is our uh, official Even Odds podcast where I talk about standard and Mason talks about exclusively modern. Magic's most popular format. <laughs> I talked about Tamio in standard. I didn't mention how Tamio's great in turns decks. Uh, but she is. And so, um, Illahag, you can discard all Faithless Looting and it sits there in your graveyard. And when you go to Vengeance it out, it can be something that you discard earlier in the game. And then later gets the other big fatties out of your hand while also doubling as a through the breach. You know, if you just attack and put in Emrakul, that's a lot of damage. And so it's a card that just gets me excited for a, an archetype that I always thought was pretty bad before and inconsistent. And just adding another le- level of redundancy to that is good. And this thing being a 6-6 six, six, is just a backup plan. Right. Adding a through the breach that, that smashes <laughs> in and of itself is pretty interesting. Uh, of note, because the question might come up, if you do put an Emrakul into play off of this, you will not get an Annihilator trigger because the, the creature is already attacking when it comes into play. Just, Correct. Just worth noting. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's not a whole lot to say about that. It's just, I think it's really cool and gets me excited to do that. And in standard, I'm going to put big idiots into play. I'm going to hit you with Galtas. I'm going to hit you with Ronus. Because this plus Ronus is, uh, I believe, 17 damage if they don't block, which is game. So. <laughs> it's not bad for five mana. Not bad. I- um I like no, that. I mean, I don't know really a lot else to say with this card. This card is insane. Um, it does an extremely powerful effect. Uh, it also is interesting if there are ways to reanimate it in standard. But there are a couple of cards that reanimate. There are. Um, but so, I don't know. This card is, is fascinating, and it's going to be interesting to see what type of archetypes uh, develop as a result of this. I mean, the obvious thought is the Gruul-type decks, and they just maybe go a little bit bigger than what they've been doing. And now they have an extreme top end. Yeah, 6-6 six, six, six is also very big. Very big. It's bigger than everything that we currently see as play in standards. That, that's worth mentioning that, like, its fail rate is a 6-6. Six, six. And if you have good ETBs when you attack with it, I don't know which ones you're going to play in Gruul off the top of my head. But if you have some, that's a combo. It also does work. No one talked about this with Cruel Harpooner. Cruel Harpooner's uh, undergrowth triggered happens when the ETBs. So you can just dome fools. Yeah, just giant, giant cruel harpooners. Yep. Alright, well, what do you, what's your last... Uh, hello! Hello! Tezzeret, Master of the Bridge. Doesn't count. Card's a buy a box promo. <laughs> yeah? I mean, I'll, let, I'll let you talk about it, but you cheated. I did cheat. Listen, buy a box promo, see play. We've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah, but not in the set. Head. But not in the set. Yep. Alright. Taking the hard stance on something I probably fun. shouldn't do it. There's a lot of weird rules that I didn't know about. <laughs> Welcome to Magic. How can I help you? <laughs> um, Alright, so this is a Blue Black 4. Uh, comes in at 5 loyalty. Creature and Planeswalker spells you cast have affinity for artifacts is the passive ability. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, affinity is one of the most ridiculous mistake mechanics that was ever printed as far as I can tell. And the idea that they're printing a new card that gives things affinity is terrifying. Don't think about it. Answer this. Phyrexian mana or affinity? What's worse? Phyrexian mana? <laughs> I think so, too. But Probably. Just barely. Barely. barely talking, they're both terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, plus two, Tezzeret deals X damage to each opponent, where X is the number of artifacts you control, and you gain X life. Uh, so you just get to drain them. Minus three, return target artifact from your graveyard to your hand. 
and then minus 8, exile the top 10 cards of your library, put all artifact cards from among them onto the battlefield. Uh, so this does a lot of stuff. Same thing, 6 mana Planeswalker, you want a lot from a 6 mana Planeswalker, this has a lot of stuff. Other part of it too, same thing with Bolas' Citadel. Like, cheating mana is broken. Like, anything that you're doing that cheats mana is something that's worth looking at. Like, I saw this card, and the very first thing I did was pull up Gatherer and say, Artifacts in Standard. Let's see what we got. They're mostly bad. That's the spoiler alert. There are 109 current Artifacts in Standard prior to War of the Spark. Most of them, not good. But, there are some rare Artifacts that are there that have some weird effects that haven't seen a lot of play, because there's not really a home for those decks. And so, I'm curious to see what happens with something like this. Also... Things like Sahili that we talked about before. Like, if you just make a bunch of servos and then all your spells have uh, affinity for artifacts, like, all of a sudden you have a bunch of Lana War Elves that you made for free. <laughs> like, and that's another thing that's incentivized too, because Sahili makes servos off of non creature spells. So, if you're playing just artifacts and not necessarily a bunch of instants or sorceries, there are things that are there. Doesn't that only give it to creature and planeswalkers, though? It does give it to creatures and planeswalkers. That's a little so, bit of a. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. So, I don't know. You have I don't to work for it. I don't know yet what this is going to be, but this is the kind of thing that makes me want to try to figure it out because the payoff that you get for it is so hot. Like, getting affinity for artifacts on the spells that you're trying to cast, creatures and planeswalkers, like, that is a big payoff. Like, being able to come in at under mana is something that's interesting and it's something that, like, the abilities on this are very powerful and it's the type of thing that makes me want to try to brew. Like, we have also seen in other formats, like, what a bunch of bad artifacts put together with powerful effects can do. Right? We've seen eggs. We've seen some of these other decks that like, hey, these are a bunch of terrible artifacts that don't do anything. But if you can find the right things to put together with it, it's very powerful. Yeah, I'm... Is it, it's telling the type of players we are, because my both my things put big dumb idiots into play, and <laughs> yeah. they're like, what's the mana system? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah I, yeah, I think that card definitely has the potential. It's very scary if in the next... 12 months, we go to an artifact plane oh. because it's only a buy a box promo, and that's terrifying, but I'm hopeful that won't happen. Right, yeah, hopefully they don't make the same mistake twice on buy a box promos. Well, this has been a new mistake, but yes, I'm very hopeful. Yeah. Um, I don't think else I want to say about the card. It's no, weird. it's just interesting. Obviously, yeah, like you said, both of mine uh, lend towards the Johnny aspect of my play in the sense that, hey, here's things that cheat mana. Yeah. <laughs> Figure out what to do with them. For sure. So let's go on to the hopeful. So for the hopeful cards, these are cards that we think are probably good, but we're not 100% sure. These would be like probably our 9s or our 10s if you're doing a normal set review. The cards, you put them on your list, and you give a disclaimer. It's like, I could see this being good, but could also do flat nothing. So starting off, mine is Feather of the Redeemed, or Feather of the Redeemed. I don't know, whatever. Stupid name. Red, white, white for a legendary creature, Angel Flying, 3-4. And it says, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. If you do, return to your hand during the beginning of the next instep. So this card plays very well with pump spells. Plays very well with evasion spells. Um, basically, it's just a card that says, if you're willing to put giant growths and pump spells and those kind of things in your deck, what's up? And for everyone who hasn't been talking to Mason for the last two weeks, he is willing to put <laughs> giant growths in his deck. <laughs> I am very <laughs> in on pump spells. <laughs> Trey, over under on decks, I was hitting you with the card of pump spell. <laughs> How high of a number can I take? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, you, you, you spoiled the, the little segue I practiced earlier today at lunch. But basically what I was going to say is this. 
I think the Infect deck in Modern is fundamentally flawed, and if a genie appeared and told me I'm never allowed to play with pump spells and he'll give me $100 in Constructed, I would take that deal. Because I think the $100 that genie would give me is more value than playing with pump spells could ever give me. I'm sorry to our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of you love Infect. Get God. <laughs> I hate that deck. Not because I hate I just don't think it's good enough. Uh, a lot of the time. There are times where it's great. Angel, I'm sorry, yeah, Feather of the Redeemed, I don't know why it's not called Angel, but Feather of the Redeemed is interesting because it helps you mitigate the fact that these pump spells are one-time uses, and if you can uh, abuse that with cards like Defiant Strike that draw cards and move through your deck and get incidental damage in and do things of that nature, then you can really get some uh, powerful th- things going off, and repeating cards is very powerful in uh, a pump spell deck. So having multiple pump spells, normally you have to wait until like basically the pump spell is lethal or it gets through a blocker, right? That's what happens with pump spells. This card lets you cheat that. Right. It lets you just fire them off for, for incidental damage or incidental value. And or not just, feel bad about it, too. Exactly. You just be like, well, just get to do it for free, basically. Yep, 100%. No, I uh, think that the card is interesting. I don't know whether or not it's going to be good enough yet. But, I mean, it's in the right colors to give it a go. <laughs> yeah. I would say that the fact that Defiant Strike was reprinted, there's also a um, r- another Battlewise Hoplite. It's a red-white 2-2 that says whenever you target it, you, like, scry one, it gets plus one, plus one. So there's a lot of cards with this, and one of my hits in the set is a card that works with this, so I don't want to talk about the archetype too much. Right. But just expect for me to talk more about this later. I think this card is probably going to get there, but the fact that it involves pump spells, like... Is the part that makes me go, ugh. Right, because there's always that part, right? Like, that you draw the wrong half of your deck, and it's like, well, I have a bunch of pump spells and no creatures, and I'm like, a deck doesn't literally do anything. Yeah, same problem I have in Modern, but not, like, in Modern, at least you kill your opponent whenever right. you draw these things. And in mine, you probably do, but not always. So. Right, yeah, but, I mean, there's probably some type of a Naya heroic deck that's going to be there. Now, whether or not that's good enough to compete against the other stuff in Standard, that's what we don't know yet. For sure. What's your, your first hopeful? My first hopeful is Bond of Revival. Which is also another one of the cycles. It's an uncommon uh, cycle that exists here. This is the Black Bond, uh, which is black and four. It's a sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste until your next turn. So we've been talking that there are a lot of things. There's a lot of self-mill options that are going on. There are a lot of big, powerful creatures that do a lot of big, dumb stuff. You know, like the gods that we were just talking about. There's an entire cycle now of those things. We've got Galta. We've got all of this different, really powerful things. Carnage Tyrant's still hanging around. And the idea of having a reanimation spell that also gives haste, that doesn't die at the end of turn, like, is something that's really interesting. Because there are some other reanimate things that are available to us, and they haven't really, like, seen an archetype yet. But it's an interesting way to try to think about grinding. And I don't know whether or not this card's going to be good enough. But the last time that we had a reanimate spell in Standard that gave haste in that way, I spent a lot of time playing those type of decks. And so this is something I'm definitely going to be looking at deck lists on. And I hope it's good enough. Yeah. I think that card is a potentially very, very good. Especially like in a boar deck, potentially. Right. So. And, and the art's super dope. And yes. the flavor's really cool on it. And all of those other kinds of things. For sure. So my next hopeful card is Dreadhorde Invasion. Mm. It's one of the black for an enchantment. That's, mm. <laughs> what's wrong? At the beginning, it's like Bitter Blossom. Oh. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and amass one. And we haven't actually talked about it, but amass, if you don't know, is you make a token if you don't already have an army token. Uh, and you put that many plus one, plus one counters. And if you have one, you add plus one, plus one counters to your army. 
Right. This is somewhat confusing because it, it's army, but it is a singular creature. You're not yeah. getting a bunch of different creatures. You get one creature that gets bigger. And the token that they give you is one creature, which is just like you couldn't like copy-paste two or three of them. <laughs> That's all very strange. Very upset. This should be the army token. Right, like, yeah, this the is, art for that card. Yeah, it just yeah. should be that. And then it has the text of whenever a zombie token you control with power six or greater attacks, it gains lifelink until end of turn. So I'm hopeful for this card for a couple of reasons. This card is very similar in the way that it uh, triggers and like the play pattern, right, of at least like how it works to Bitter Blossom. Like Bitter Blossom, you kind of set it in a reoccurring of your value. Now, Bitter Blossom is way better than Dreadhorn Invasion. You're not going to hear me say it's not. Like, Bitter Blossom is like a 12. This is like a 6 or a 7. But I think there are enough cards that give you a mass where the bottom half of the text is going to come up actually a lot. And it's going to be really important in like a blue-black mid-range or control style deck. Maybe even a slight Grixis just maybe for the God Pharaoh and Nicobolas, the creature. Uh, but predominantly blue-black. And I think this card in that deck is very interesting and sort of, I don't know how to say this, but like, I think it's going to go the distance. A lot of people have doubt in this card, but if you look at uh, Enter the God Pharaohs, or Enter the, Enter the Gods, I believe is what it's called, the five mana. Enter, Enter the God Eternals. Enter the God Eternals. That card is very powerful. I think we're going to talk about it later, if I know anything about Trey. Uh, and then Commence the End Game as another card that plays very well with this, which is a draw two that can't be countered, and for every card in your hand, a mass. So if you play this early and you're playing a control deck and maybe you chump block or you trade off with a little white creature and you play that, you now suddenly have a big creature that presumably was already on the battlefield, right? So now you've basically given it, uh, you've given your creature haste and now it has lifelink to recoup the life you've lost. And now you're swinging a seven point life swing or something. So I think this card has the potential to be good enough. And I think the amass mechanic might not be there just quite yet, but I think on rotation it might be there. So. I think that a mass is really interesting. I do think that one of the things that's going to be interesting with a mass is particularly the card Widespread Brutality. Mm-hmm. If there is an Amass deck that's good, I think that that card is probably part of it. Uh, which this isn't on the list, but like worth talking about since I said it, which is it's red, red, black, colorless, sorcery, Amass 2, and then your uh, the army you amassed deals damage equal to its power to each non-army creature. So you're able to like make a big creature and then board wipe um, in Grixis colors or in Rakdos colors. And uh, that's something that I think if if a mass is going to be a deck, I think that's something that's probably a big part of it. And I think that this card is interesting. I'm with you. I I don't know if it's going to get there right now, but similar like what we talked about too, like even it might be something that control decks are interested in. Like if they are playing some of these other big amass cards incidentally, that like particularly in like sideboard games or something like that, like a, a two mana thing that like makes a big creature every turn uh, or makes a creature that grows every turn is going to be something that's difficult for other control decks to deal with, particularly post sideboards. Yeah, it puts a clock on you to win the game if they can answer, but they have to leave removal spells in. It will keep the walkers down. It's something I think. So that's why I'm hopeful. And like I said, I think in a set review this would be like my nine or ten. So that's where it is on this. So Trey, what's your next card? Uh, my last hopeful. My next hopeful is Soul Diviner. So also a two mana zombie, but this is a black blue zombie wizard. It's a two three, and it has an interesting ability. It has tap, remove a counter from an artifact creature, land or planeswalker, and draw a card. Are you interested you, in this because of modern? Uh, I'm also interested in this because of standard. You've heard the modern combo, right? Yeah, necrotic ooze and devoted druid, and you draw your whole deck. Right. Okay. Just want to make sure you know. Keep talking. Yeah, about. and it's important for our listeners to know. Yeah, they, they should know that too. That's yeah. a, that's a play. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, if it'll encourage people to play more Necroticus, I'm fine with that. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm in on that. Yeah, this not main deck Cyndricals right now, so I think it's really the time to move. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. But no, it's interesting. Like, anytime you've got tap draw a card, you know, obviously there's a cost, there's a setup cost, you have to build your deck around, you know, this type of a thing making it happen. But there's a lot of stuff that you can end up doing with this, whether it's it's Sultai and it's like Hadana's Climb, or it's adapt creatures that have cheap adapt costs that have incidental things. Like, I, I saw uh, Jerry Thompson was talking about, what's it called, a Benthic uh, Biomancer? Biomancer that has adapt for two mana, and it loots when it has a counter on it. So that you can, like, adapt it and loot, and then remove this and draw, and, like, you're getting a lot of value and getting ahead pretty quickly as far as churning through your deck and getting cards. Now... The question is, what are you doing with that once you're getting all of that advantage? And that I'm not entirely sure about. But having this kind of a repeatable effect, especially on some of these like uncommon planeswalkers that have static abilities you might be interested in, but you might be in game states or situations where their minus abilities aren't particularly useful. You're able to just cash in counters at any time in order to draw cards. Uh, it's something that's worth looking at, and it's something that's interesting. I don't know if it's good enough or not, but the idea that this has some kind of a new archetype attached to a Soul Diviner based deck is something that I think is possible. Yeah, it also works pretty well with Blast Zone. I mean, it's like a lot of mana, but like you could do it. You, you you put counters on, right? You just like take a turn and put a bunch on, and you play this and start drawing cards. So Yeah, it's something. You know, like I said, I don't really know entirely what the home is going to be yet, but there's some fascinating things to try to think about. Anytime you've got like an ability on a creature like that that's cheap, that's tap draw a card, by, by doing some other kind of activation, it's worth looking at. And it's there's also a reason that there's a two mana, two, three that's a rare. There's something that we are going to try to stumble onto that that is going to have some pretty powerful effects on it. Yeah, and there's proliferate in the set, so Exist, yeah, yep. Let's move on to our hits. Hits. These are cards that are hits. We think everybody loves a hit. Yep. Everyone loves, you know, a seven rings, a true hit. Best since the Beatles, some would say. <laughs> Who At least some numbers. Numbers <laughs> are saying it. Let's talk about my first hit. Which, if you listen to the podcast, you've heard me talk about this card before. That's Dreadhorde Arcanist. Dreadhorde Arcanist is one in a red for a zombie wizard with trample that says when Dreadhorde Arcanist attacks, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost less than or equal to Dreadhorde Arcanist's power from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile instead for a 1 3. So, if you've listened to any of the, the past episodes where we talk about some spoiler cards, talk about this card a lot. Um, in standard, it works really well with Feather, because if you flash back the card from your graveyard, Feather's replacement effect actually will return the card to your hand. So in the earlier turns, you can you can get a lot of pump out of your creatures, essentially. Your Defiant Strikes can move through your deck a lot. And I've spent a lot of time talking about this card in standard, but I think there's going to be a Boros or a Naya pump spell deck. And you're going to have to stay tuned for that, because I'm going to talk about this card in Modern uh, Legacy, since we've talked about it a lot already in Standard. So if you want to hear more about that, go check out the episode uh, from two weeks ago, where we just talked about some cards that got uh, previewed. Dreadhorde Arcanist in Modern and Legacy is super interesting. So in Legacy specifically, we have a lot of one-mana powerful cards. We have Cabal Therapy, we have Thoughtseize, we have all the Cantrips, Ponder, Preordain, Brainstorm. All of those are available to us. And with this, you're able to play like a Grixis deck and accrue some extra value. And you can't really, in those formats, up its power and get higher. But you don't really need to. Because you have so many good one-mana things. Even just Lightning Bolt, which I didn't somehow mention. Because there are so many good cards. Right? You can just bolt something, attack a bolt something. You know? Same thing in Stater, right? You can, like, pump fill this, lava coil something, attack, lava coil another thing, hit you for, like, two. Because it was a Defiant Strike. Those are plays and things you are allowed to do. 
that are very powerful. And getting to cast your spells again is super powerful. There have been a lot of red creatures with effects kind of like this. But a lot of the time, they're more variance-driven. And you don't just have something that you get to do with it. Like, Prophetic Fire Speaker is the one that Trey compares it to a lot, where he says, like, there's a 1-3 and you can cast the top two cards of your deck. But getting something randomly and knowing and making your play around it are two hugely different things, even if one gives you more advantage. So I think in Legacy, it has the potential to actually be a game-changer. I think that this is similar enough to Snapcaster Mage that maybe it spawns a new archetype or changes the way we look at certain archetypes like Four Color Pile. I don't know Legacy 100% well enough to give you an exact idea, but for Modern, this is the kind of card that Mardu Pyromancer is sort of interested in. You know, uh, If you're in other grinding matchups and grinding matchups are popular, you don't really want to play Bob because the deck just never has, like the Black Man is kind of hard, and you have a lot of higher CMC stuff. You don't want to flip a Bedlam Reveler off your Bob. That's really the trick. You don't want to hit Bedlam Rebel off your Bob. But this thing lets you cast your Faceless Leading again. It lets you uh, cast your Bolts, your Discard Spells, all that kind of stuff. And it's something that could see potential play there. And so while I'm pretty positive this card's going to actually just be a standard all-star, and it's going to shape standard and spawn a new archetype along with Feathered and the new Battlewise Hoplite in the set, I think it has potential to shake up the older formats as well. And that's really powerful on a card. So I think this card, I think it's a for sure hidden standard, but I've already spent like 20 minutes on the podcast talking about that, so I don't want to bore you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the card's interesting. You know, we've talked about it several times today, even. Like, things that cheat mana are interesting. Getting to cast spells from your graveyard is powerful. Getting to cast things from your graveyard without paying mana is insanely powerful. It's just a matter of whether or not those effects are going to line up in competition. Um, you know, it the 1-3 is probably the right stats for this, like, from a design standpoint. Yeah, like it's a 1-4, it's unbeatable. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. just would be horrible, you know, and if it, same thing, if it were a 2-3, it's probably unbeatable. Like, yeah. it, it would be a real problem. Um, so I think it's a well-designed card, and I, I'm, I'm interested to see what it is that happens with it. Uh, it's definitely a card that's exciting to brew with. I'm not as much of a, a absolute believer as you are. I'm it's not. the Judith of it, the it set. It is the Judas of the set. I have called it that many times <laughs> to you. Uh, the, uh, for those of you that weren't listening at that time, uh, Mason talked about Judith for every single episode of the podcast for like four weeks and then never never played it in anything. <laughs> Judith is so good. It's just contextually not good right now. The rotation will come, and Judith is so powerful. I didn't talk about any more Diva cards because I wanted to spare the people, but Soren is great for the Judas deck. Yeah. That's, I'm not saying that's going to fix the problems. I'm just saying. There's Judith. also Combat Celebrant, and there are some other pieces now for a Mardu uh, Judith deck, potentially. Uh, that is true. Judith is great. Never Don't sleep on her. <laughs> no, Judith won't let you sleep on her. That's She's a Diva. I get it. <laughs> My first card is one that we mentioned earlier, which is Enter the God Eternals. Black, blue, blue, two. Uh, sorcery, Enter the God Eternal, deals 4 damage to target creature. You gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. Um, target player puts the top 4 cards of their library into their graveyard, and you amass 4. If you have an empty board except your opponent has a creature, you get to uh, deal 4 damage, gain 4 life, make a 4-4, four, four, and mill 4 cards from either you or your opponent. Uh, whatever the situation is preferable for you to do. This card just does so many different things. Well, it does all of those things. It does all of those things. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do all of those things. And if you have uh, a mass creatures already, it's just like a pump spell. It's just four plus one plus one counters on one of your creatures. Uh, in addition to doing all of these other things. This is such a big, swingy card that accomplishes so many different things. Um, I think that it's an absolute hit. And it's going to be something that I think is a, a big player in the standard going forward. 
Yeah, that card is one of the few cards that actually answers the gods, the new ones, uh, that isn't a counterspell, which is important, because if you answer them in a way, you can then mill them. Um, the card seems very powerful to me. Um, I think it works really well with Dreadhorde Invasion. Like, if you just had a one way you didn't block with, on the next turn it's a 2-2. Now you're gaining 4 life, clearing the way, and attacking for 6 and gaining 6 life. That's a 10 life swing, assuming they chump block. Right, even with the other things, like you talked about commence the endgame. Like if you play this on 5, commence the endgame on 6, and just make a gigantic army creature that's attacking. Mm-hmm. Like, that's huge. Yeah, or you, like, on your turn 6, you hold up your mana, and it commence, and then on, like, they played a creature, and now you're like, alright, kill it, make this thing bigger, hit you. That's it's unbeatable at times. So yeah, it's... Five mana is a lot, though. That's the only thing that's going down inside. Five mana is a lot. I, I, I don't know of a set in that I can think of where the five mana slot is going to be more crowded than War of the Spark. There are so many insane, powerful cards that are all five mana. There's the God Cycle. There's uh, a variety of removal spells that are there. There's things like Massacre Girl. There's Planeswalkers. Like, five mana. If your opponent is untapping with five mana, scary stuff is going to be happening. All right, so... Now it's time for my last hit of the set. Every set, one of us is a coward and picks a boring, safe removal spell. This year, it's me. I picked. <laughs> <laughs> we both picked a removal spell. <laughs> yeah, but mine's like an efficient one. <laughs> like mine, mine might see like modern and legacy play. Uh huh. Which follows the theme of your entire uh, set review today. Uh, modern's a popular and important format sometimes. Uh, Angrass Rampage. Angrass Rampage. Black, red for a sorcery. Choose one. Target player sacrifices an artifact, creature, or planeswalker. So you pick one of those three. They have to. There's an edict for one of those. This card's really powerful. Um, now there was a new diabolic edict, which at instant speed is super good and obviously great. But if you're in black and red, um, that means you can afford to play this card over that because the red isn't a problem for you. At that point, you now have access to get rid of random artifacts, which could be a problem, like the Immortal Sun, a Sorcerer's Spyglass, things like that. You get rid of Planeswalkers. Even in a world where there are 36 Planeswalkers, 37 if you're a cheater and count and Tezzeret uh, on your list. That's a lot of Planeswalkers. There probably won't be more than two on the battlefield. And you could probably engineer a way where killing one of them and then Edict to kill the other one. Or they tap out for their Teferi, and this is a great tempo answer. You know, they have to, excuse me, have a negate where a sick of pain and you'd be stuck on mana. So it answers a lot of problems without ever mentioning the fact that it's just an Edict. Like, it's fairly a sacrifice a creature. So for decks like Poopy Jund and Modern, uh, you know, Black-Red... <laughs> Is, Poop, is Poopy Jund the official name? Is that what we've decided it's on? It's not as good as Black Green, so I'm just yeah. calling Poopy Jund. Okay. Uh, but Jund, you know, in Modern, Grixis in Modern, right? Like, there are decks, there are just Black-Red decks that would like to have this card. You might play an Edict in, like, a Gorrior's Vengeance deck, and this is like, well, if I'm going to play Diabolic Edict, I might want to play this instead, just have outs to, like, Digger's Cage and stuff like that. Yeah, so. There have been a lot of Edicts that have been printed over the years. This might be the best Edict yeah, it's that one, they've it's, ever printed. It's in the contention for sure. Right. I can't decide with this card whether or not this is Bedevil's best friend in standard or the death of Bedevil. <laughs> like, I don't know if this means you just never play Bedevil anymore. Well, that or... doesn't change anything for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, the card's very efficient. It's very good. Um, it's interesting that it hits all the same things that Bedevil does for just a mana less <laughs> yeah. in order to lose the target ability. Yeah, and you, and you have to think when you're curving out in a deck... The two-mana play that can answer their three-mana thing, like, is important. Especially if you, like, have a tap lane where you can even afford to not shock now. That can be important, you know. Obviously not great against mono-white. Obviously has a problem against mono-blue and, and mono-red even to an extent. But other mid-range decks, and even those decks, it's still passable. And it's, it's just a totally reasonable card. 
and for all of the formats. You know, a braid sees some modern play because of its utility to kill artifacts or creatures, right? If you want an edict, it's a very similar logic. Harder to cast, but if you're in those colors, you could be it. So I, I think it's a totally powerful card. I mean, having Random Mountain Snaring Bridge in your main deck in Jund is super good. Having it in Legacy is also really good. You just randomly get something, like a Painter Servant deck. You know, they play their mind, the Millstone and Pass the Turn or whatever, and you're like, and I'll get rid of that. Back to you. Do you know what Painter Server does? They don't play Millstone. <laughs> they, they play Grindstone? Grindstone. Grindstone, my bad, yeah. Uh, but you can play Millstone in Standard. It's totally legal. It's an M19. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, feel free. <laughs> get that works really well with our Tamio deck from an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're going to get those Millstones, dust them off. Yep, so I was the coward. I picked the Assassin's Trophy of the set. <laughs> I think you picked Assassin's Trophy and I picked Bedevil last time. So, yeah, yeah. We, the, the tradition runs true. Removal spells are powerful. Yeah, so what it just continues to show is that I've just been trying to play Grixis decks for a long time. Yeah. Um, my last uh, card, my hit, is my, my selection from the God Cycle, which is the God <coughs> Eternal Kefnet. Oof, we disagree. <laughs> uh, blue, blue, two, uh, four, five, flying, and it has a ability that you may reveal the first card you draw each turn as you draw it. So you get to look at the card and then decide whether or not you're going to reveal it. Like a miracle. That's right. And whenever you reveal an instant or sorcery card this way, copy that card and you may cast the copy. The copy costs two colorless less to cast. When God Eternal Kefnet dies, you can tuck it. And in the same way that you do with all of the rest of the gods. Yeah, three down. That's right. And, and Exile, by the way, Ixalan's Binding doesn't answer these gods. Someone's going to cast that against us on Arena, and it's going to go three cards deep, and we're going to cast it, and they're going to go, wow. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be very disappointing <laughs> for those people. Um, but this goes very well with the, the my other hit, right? Like, Enter the Gods Eternal and Kefnet are best friends. <laughs> it makes your... First copy of that that you draw if you have a Kefnet in play costs three mana instead of five, and the ability to like copy those type of effects is very powerful. This is something that I think is going to be uh, very good in a type out a tap out type deck that is not based on like counter spells or anything else, but is based on playing like powerful spells that generally have a little bit of an overcost type situation. You get to get on the front end of it for cheap, and then you get to play a different copy of it additionally as well. I think that this does a lot of really powerful stuff and is going to create a lot of value that's hard for your opponent to keep up with. And a 4-5 flyer for 4 from a vanilla test standpoint, too, is also very good stats. Yeah, it doesn't die to a Lava Coil, which is very... A lot of things die to Lava Coil in the 4 and 5 drop. Yeah. Having 5 butts is really big right now, for sure. I would say this card has been over... People are really excited to play with in control decks, and I think it's particularly terrible in traditional control decks, the way we have them right now with counter spells and things like that. I think you're missing more than half the time because you have 25 to 26 lands in your deck, so that's basically half. Um, Kefnut in the Grixis midrange deck, though, is the one where I've heard it where it makes the most sense and has, I think, the biggest potential. So it's not surprising you want to play at Mr. Grixis midrange. You guys can't see it right now, but I'm fist pumping. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm? Uh, No, but I think that the card's uh, got a lot of value, and it's great, especially because I think that the current manifestation of Grixis decks which have a heavy red component in order to play Rekindling Phoenix, and they might be going more to a blue-black base splashing red, and that this can then slot in into those slots in order to give you still a powerful four-drop flyer while making your mana more manageable. Yeah, you, you could even maybe replace some number of boluses too. Right, yeah. Like the four-mana one, so... Right, so yeah. I think that there is going to be something, because I think that that's probably the way that you're going to want to build your mana base in order to cast the powerful new tools that you're getting access to in that type of a deck. And which means it's going to be get harder and harder to cast Rekindling Phoenix. But fortunately, they gave you another four-drop flyer that's very good. Yeah, so it gives you a lot of options. I think that card is interesting. It's 
I'm, I've been so interested to see the talk of this card because people are a lot of people are acting like it's the new Scarab God almost. Like I haven't heard that comparison exactly, but people are hyped on it like they were for that card. I think this card's really good, and you could see it out of the Nexus of Fate sideboards. I think it's a totally reasonable card there. You know, cast your Nexus, cast your draw spells for free. Getting the double up on those is all very good, and you want to sideboard to zag on people anyways. But I think this card's good. I am surprised it was your hit, but I should not have been after <laughs> No! I should not have been. <laughs> Come on, you get to cast like a, a two-mana Vraska's Contempt during your draw step? That's dope. That is dope, if you, <laughs> as the kids say. It is something. I don't know. We'll it, see. I, I think that this, especially, again, like you said, for that type of a deck, like a Demir deck, a Grixis deck, you're you're playing powerful spells, but they're aggressively, call, like they're, 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 proactive. they're proactive spells. They're aggressive uh, power-wise. They like get a lot of value for each individual copy of them, but they're expensive. And so like getting a cost reduction and getting additional copies is like a pseudo card draw. Even if it's not specifically card draw, like you're just getting additional value out of these out of these type of decks and out of these kinds of cards, and I think that that's something that's really valuable. One hundred percent. Well, that's going to do it for our set review. Hopefully, you all enjoyed it. Um, what is the card that you think is the most exciting? Tweet at Even Oz Pod on Twitter and let us know. You know ours, Dreadheart Arcanus, and I think Kefnit for you would probably be the one you pick. Yeah, probably. Two. Yeah, and and I want to say too that you know we've done this set review now for a few times on the Twat. podcast and. Yep. This set was the hardest set to make a list of 10 because there are so many exciting cards to want to try to talk about. Mm-hmm. And this was the most difficult time in trying to like put this episode together because there's so much to get hype about. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool and exciting cards. And I think the runtime shows that for sure. Hopefully you all enjoyed this episode. If you like this episode and you want to talk to Trey or I about anything that you heard here, you can tweet at EvenOddsPod and we can both see that. You can also tweet at TreyMC on Twitter if you want to find him. You can tweet at me at Mason E. Clark. You can also find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. And this episode should be up before this, but I have been lucky enough to get a hashtag free preview hashtag sponsored uh, stream from Watsi. So I'm going to be part of the streamer event. We're going to be playing a lot of the deck we talked about here today. I'm going to be streaming for about seven or eight hours. It's going to be super fun. And we're going to be doing some super dope stuff. And then just like always in the set drop, I'm going to stream a whole lot of doing fun stuff. So expect a lot of that, especially since the PT, you know, it's going on, but it's modern. Maybe modern's not your thing. You should check out the channel for Standard. You're going to do a lot of that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. A lot of fun. I'm really excited to brew with this set. Yep. You want to make sure to check out the rest of the Constructed Criticism Network. There's a Common Knowledge of Popper podcast. There are some pretty cool cards for Popper. I don't know if you were looking out on that one. A lot of commons. We had a lot of uncommons on our set review today, too. Don't sleep on them. Uh, <laughs> check out uh, Hive Mind. It's an MTG talk show. A lot of different personalities on there. We just had a friend of the show, Nick Prince, was on the show, uh, I think, last week. Or maybe he's coming on this week. It's, I'm always confused with where they are because it's bi-weekly. But Nick Prince just had an episode. I'm sure it's great. Nick is awesome. So make sure to check that out. Uh, Constructed Criticism, John Stern, Seth Manfield, Spencer Howland. They're crushing it. They just did their, um, I don't, don't want to say set review, but Cards the Patrons wanted them to talk about, which is a cool episode. So get to hear those pros talk about their cards in that, minder, that manner. And then uh, Homeward Path is an MTG dad show or MTG mom, depending on you know everything there. And yeah, it's super exciting. Thank you, everyone, so much. I'm going to wrap this up because it's a long episode. Roll this next week. So this is normally the time when I would yell about things and uh, do a Wow OK segment, uh, which Mason came after me with. I got bodied on my own podcast, which I did not appreciate last week. I didn't appreciate uh, having to figure whoa, out what to do. I wasn't going to do it. Um, he really wasn't. But I wanted to... 
Uh, I wanted to tell a story to y'all because this is one of the most insane things that I've had happen to me recently. Uh, as we mentioned at the top, uh, I've gotten back into doing some stand-up, and uh, I had a show recently at the comedy club here, Zanies. And, yeah, well, just letting you know. It was, it was a national tour. I did some time. It's not a big deal. Uh, it was kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> but, flex. Yeah, but it was great. And uh, Mason and uh, several of the friends of the podcast were, were there, and I really appreciate the support. Thanks uh, to people that came out. Um, but there was someone apparently on Facebook who did not have as good of a time. Uh, Facebook has a weird feature that I didn't know about until this happened. Where if someone posts a photo of you, or what Facebook thinks is you, even if you were not tagged in it, you'll get a notification that says, Hey, we think somebody posted a photo of you. So that happened following the show. And this woman, who I I don't know, but I do recognize from being in the audience uh, at the comedy show, tagged uh, posted a picture of my headshot from the promo of the website where you buy tickets, and had uh, said that she came to the show, and the show was okay, not all that, but dinner at the club was good and got to spend a night out with my man, which was great. Then she posted 20 photos to Facebook, which were a picture of her outside the club, a picture of her uh, significant, man, other. significant other outside of the club, a picture of the outside of the club with no one in front of it, a picture of the poster advertising it from the website, a picture of my headshots uh, and the other comedian's headshots, uh, a picture of the bios, a picture of the food that she ate. A picture of the tickets, the like ti- just the printed out tickets for the show. Not even the stubs. Not the, the stubs, just the printed out tickets. A picture of the address of the club, also <laughs> from the printed out tickets. And then a picture of every page of the menu at the club. Including the same one twice. It's just <laughs> astonishing. Like, I can't imagine this entire scenario. But, like, show was okay, not all that, but dinner was great. Here's a picture of the menu for the restaurant. <laughs> Well, it was the best part. Oh my god! Uh, she had wings and a burger. If anybody's curious, <laughs> based on the based on the pictures that were here, and it's a thing. Like uh, obviously, you do you do performance, you do something like that. If somebody's not having a, a great time about it, uh, that's fun. But this is just an insane thing. I can't imagine it. But my favorite part is that I told Mason about it, and Mason got involved. <laughs> so I saw this, and uh, I have some screenshots sent to me, and so I uh, went and found it. And I commented, uh, glad to hear the food was good. I had the opposite experience. I loved the comedy and hated the food. <laughs> what did you get to eat so next time I know what to get? I'm looking at the menu pictures right now. Which I admit was a little mean-spirited on the last part. <laughs> but the best part about all this is, is Cheryl responded to me in DM. And now I have a new friend and we're talking about the food for next time I go to Zany's. <laughs> Apparently the trick is to get the wings. So, <laughs> turns out you can make friends everywhere you go. <laughs> Thanks so much. Roll with us next week.